is, uh, this is, I'm excited about this word because the Lord gave me a dream about three weeks ago. It was before the team left for India. I'm shaking right now. I don't know if it's the anointing or I'm just nervous. So I'm going to say it's the anointing. <laughs> You're going to tremble. Okay. So God gave me this dream about three weeks ago before the team left. And we were in a ministry meeting. And I remember trembling like this. And it's like Eric was talking and he was making out the list of who was going to preach. And I was just like on the edge of my seat. And he goes, okay, so who wants Wednesday night? I'm like, I do. Oh, what I need this. I need to speak this. And he goes, okay, okay. So he puts my name down. And we're just talking about all this. And um, everything got, got filled in. But when he put it down, he put it down for the second Wednesday. And I'm like, oh, my God, i got to sit on this for a couple of weeks. And I don't know if I can because this is, this is just boiling inside of me. You know when you have a dream that the next day is super fresh and it's super exciting. And you're just thinking about it all day long. And then. The next few days after that, it kind of fades out, and it's not as intense. Y'all ever have dreams like that? Yes. It's just me? Okay. Um, it's just me, I guess. Okay, so um, this dream wasn't like that. It's been boiling in me ever since, so I know it's from the Lord. And what's awesome about it is when Matt preached the first Sunday, he preached half the message. And I thought, wow, that's really cool. That's confirmation. But it was from his perspective, and it goes right along with this. And then um, Brother Mike brought the word, and it was right along with this, and Brother Charlie did. So it was just confirmation. It was like the Lord was gathering up um, four different perspectives on the same topic. So he must really want y'all to get this. Um, tonight is March 6th, 2013, and the title of this message is Two by Two. Um, so in the dream, I was at a park in my hometown of Thibodeau, Louisiana. Uh, if y'all have ever seen Swamp People, it's not far from where Swamp People is filmed. Those are my relatives on that show. Not literally, but probably distantly. So um, that's, that's the area this was. And, um, I was in a park. Matt and I were in a park. And there were oak trees everywhere. And people were just kind of spread out on a Saturday. And we just began ministering the Word of God. Just preaching. And some people were getting up and leaving. They didn't want to hear it. And some people were drawn to it. And it was just this powerful Word. And mainly, it was just our testimony. It was how God called us, how we had to wait, how we had to endure, and how God fulfilled the call that he's placed on our lives. And the most important thing that kept resounding in me in this dream was that God called us two by two. He didn't call us alone. He didn't call us to fulfill this alone. And so I really feel like that's the heart of this message. If you get nothing else out of it, remember that. We're called two by two. Okay, so who in here wants to be used by the Lord? Amen. Everybody, right? Okay, Pastor Eric is fond of saying, and I quote, the only one the Lord cannot use is the one who won't be used. So is everybody willing to be used by the Lord? Yes. Okay, because that means that you're called by the Lord. You're called to minister. But there's an important thing. You're never called by yourself. You're never called to be solo. Look throughout the Word of God. Look how Jesus functioned. Jesus didn't... Um, have his ministry alone. He gathered 12 people around him and worked it. You are never called to be alone. You're always called to be in pairs. This started in the beginning, okay, in the garden. Adam was alone. What did God say to him or say? It's not good for him to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And he did because Adam had a calling. What was Adam's calling? Subdue and multiply. Could he subdue by himself? Possibly the multiplication thing would have been a little difficult by himself, right? He could not fulfill the calling God had for him by himself. 
and you can't either. Whether you're male, female, single, married, you cannot fulfill the calling God has in your life by yourself. Can't be done. So be prepared to rub shoulders with people because that's what God's bringing you. All right, so let's start. God calls us all in pairs. We agree with that? Does anybody disagree with me? He calls us in pairs. He calls us in pairs ministry partners. So we have people like Paul and Barnabas, right? Paul and Barnabas went out. They functioned differently, but they were called together. Paul and Titus were called together. They functioned differently. Joshua and Caleb, Moses and Aaron, David and Jonathan. Um, think about in Revelation, the two witnesses in the last days. God is always working with this pattern over and over. Um, Jesus himself sent the disciples out two by two. Let's go, um, let's go to Mark 6. We're going to be flipping a lot, so I hope you're ready for some, some meat tonight. If you don't want to flip, Joy, put it up on the screen, and you can cheat. I'm okay with that. That's all right. All right, Mark 6. I've got a new Bible. My old Bible was falling apart, but I hear that's a good sign, right? Okay, so I've got a new Bible, the exact same Bible, so all the words are in the same place. I know where they are on the page. But my pages are brand new, and they stick together, so y'all have to be patient with me. Okay, Mark 6, 6 verse 7, uh, says, Calling the twelve to him, he sent them out two by two and gave them authority over evil spirits. So he called them two by two, right? He called them in pairs. Why wouldn't he send them out by themselves? Look at, look at the last part of that sentence. He gave them authority over evil spirits. Well, they wouldn't need authority over evil spirits if they weren't going to be facing them, right? So we must not be able to do it by ourselves. He called them out two by two because we need each other. Um, let's turn to uh, Ecclesiastes 4.9. Y'all heard this scripture before, I'm sure, many times. Two are better than one. Why? Because they have a good return for their work. Right? Isn't that what Jesus is after? A return for his investment in your life? Yes. So, of course, he's going to call us two by two. One, we're only going to produce so much. But two, it multiplies infinitely. Excuse me. And there's a covenant when he calls you two by two. It's not just in the marriage. There's a covenant in ministry partners. You can see this illustrated in your very own lives because this church was founded on that principle. Um, Eric got a revelation a long time ago, probably 2003, 2004, that um, he was called to this work here in Sugarland, and that it was not good for him to be alone. And he asked the Lord for a helper. And Jen asked the Lord for a helper. And they were doing this independent of each other. They both felt the need to have someone come alongside. And the Lord provided. The Lord spoke to them and said, the P-Rose have set aside for this work. And so we were living in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And they were here in Sugar Lake, Texas. And we had always been close friends. But there had been this distance between us just because of geography. And one evening, there's a knock on our door. They had shown up on our front door. And it was like, hey, guys, didn't even know you guys were in town. Come on in, and we're fellowshipping. And Eric lays it on us, and he says, look, I believe the Lord has called me to minister in Sugar Land, Texas. I believe he set you aside for this work, and I'm asking you to join with me in a covenant. Well, covenant, I'm like, God, that sounds a lot like marriage. What kind of weirdness is this? You know? And he's like, I assure you this is not weird, but it's very similar to a marriage covenant because what we're going to do, if you guys agree and believe that this is the Lord, our families are going to be in covenant with each other. And that's a special thing. When you were married, if you're married, 
When you said those vows, you covenanted before God to stay, to work together, to complete each other's calling. And that's what we did as families. That's how our families interact. So you see that in action right before your very eyes. We're not perfect at it. We're still learning. We, we've never had this demonstrated before us. So we're working this out as we follow the Lord in this. Amen. But you can see that this ministry, you're the fruit of this. This Amen. is why the Lord's favor is upon this. <laughs> It's accountability. It's encouragement. You get a better return on your work when you work two by two, pair by pair. Okay, so ministry is also birthed out of your home, right? It's not just out there. It goes on, it's what goes on inside your home. So you're, um, if you're blessed to be married, then there is no way that you have a calling independent of your spouse. No way. No way. Wives, you're not independent of your husband's calling. I don't care how much you feel called to whatever it is, to whatever random distraction that the devil may be throwing in front of you. You're not called to anything unless it lines up with your husband's calling. Now, this does not mean that you will not go out and do things that your husband is not there present for. I promise you, do it all the time. Okay? But your calling is to be joined with his calling. And if any of y'all have gone through the marriage counseling teaching that we do, you've learned this in one of the weeks that... A wife joins her husband in the calling. Now, to many wives, this can seem very um, stripping of your independence. Oh, well, I don't get to fulfill my dreams. I don't get. You know what? When you came into Jesus, you kind of laid all that aside anyway, male or female. You laid your dreams aside when you came into Jesus. Amen. And so as a wife, I'm telling you firsthand, yes, I've had to lay my dreams aside. <laughs> but I'm telling you that there is nothing that I could have dreamed or imagine, or ask the Lord for, that would even come close to what he has given me. Amen. In obedience to his word, I have joined my husband in his calling, and I have laid aside these things, and there is nothing that could have compared with what the Lord has blessed me with right now. I was talking with a girl two Sundays ago, one of our visitors that comes on the bus, and I was um, ministering to her and telling her a little bit of my past and my testimony, and she looked at me and she said, I cannot even imagine you like that. I'm like, praise God, that's wonderful. Because it really was like that, but I'm not no longer. The Lord has removed all of that and given me so much that I could have never attained for myself. And that comes in obedience to the Lord. Okay, so that goes for your whole household too. That's not just husbands and wives. That's also your family. We tell our girls all the time, Daddy isn't in ministry. Our whole family is in ministry. The Lord has called this entire family to, the, to join Daddy in his calling. So what that looks like on a practical level, Matt is a pastor here, okay? Now, not everybody's called to be a pastor. I understand that. Not everybody's called to be a worship leader. So fill in the blanks, whatever it is the Lord that has called you to. But how it looks in our life is he's called to lead worship. Okay, I can't play an instrument. And I cannot sing very well here. I cannot, I can't do it. Try, doesn't work, can't do it. So does that mean that? Well, Matt and I should have never been married because our callings don't line up. Not at all. Not at all. I am on the worship team with him. And how that is, is I choose to be on the worship team with him. I choose to participate in his calling. So when he is up here leading worship, I am zealous for the Lord. I am responding. I am following him. I'm his biggest fan. I'm his cheerleader out in the seats. So if no one else is going to follow him into the throne room of God, I will. Because the Lord called me to help him fulfill his calling. So in that small little segment of how our lives work, that's how it looks. 
That's for our girls. Y'all see me. I'm going to knock them on the head a couple times during worship. Hey, you need to be worshiping. You're an example. You're your daddy's children. You should be worshiping more than anybody else in this church. This is what we do during worship. This is what you're thinking during worship. When you're singing these words, they aren't just words. They're a song from your heart. This is you talking to God. I'm always instructing them in the ways and the things that we're doing as a family because we are in ministry together. This is your whole household. This is how it works. And I'm going to get to you single people, so don't, don't, don't check out on me just if you're not married, because this is, this is good. This is not just for husband and wife. This is also for anyone you're called to work with, okay? Um, let's, uh, let's go to Amos 3.3. Did we do Amos? We didn't do Amos yet. together unless they have agreed to do so? If you are married, okay, or if you are in covenant with someone, working with someone in their ministry, you've got to agree. You've got to agree with the calling. This doesn't mean that you see eye to eye. This doesn't mean that um, when they bring up the calling, when they bring up the vision, hey, we're going to head in this direction, that you necessarily have that vision. That's a big mix misconception. Well, my husband wants to do this, but I don't feel that. What? That's okay. The Lord didn't give you the vision. He's the head of the household. You follow him. Your ministry partner says, hey, I feel like we need to go in this direction. I don't really feel that way. It's okay to voice those things. It's okay to talk about them. But you must agree if you're going to walk together, you've got to agree to do so or you're not being a help. And let me just speak to you wives out there for a minute. Let me just grab you out of the population of the audience or future wives in here, okay? If you are not agreeing with your husband and you're constantly chipping away at him, no wonder he's not the man that you want him to be. No wonder. You're supposed to be in agreement with him. You're supposed to be walking in agreement with him. If you are not supporting him, you're working against him. And of course he's going to be a failure. You want him to be this awesome godly man? Then be an awesome godly cheerleader. Be his biggest man. Be his biggest support. Rally behind him. Pray for him. Do for him. Serve him. Do what needs to be done so that his call can be fulfilled. And I promise you, Jesus will meet all the desires of your heart. He's done it in my life. He's done it in Jennifer's life. We've had long talks about this. And she says, you know, everybody thinks I'm just, I, I'm just easy going. I just go along with whatever Eric says. She has her own desires. She has her own dreams, just like any of you do. I have my own desires. I have my own dreams. I, I know what I'd like to do on a Saturday morning, but I choose to be obedient to the call that the Lord has given me, and I'm blessed for it, and you will be too. Okay, so let's, uh, I don't know what I want to talk about next. Okay, Mr. Fredericks, talk to me about the moon. So let's go to Genesis 116. I want to talk to you about some other twos that we see in the Bible. There's this pattern of two by two in the Bible. Y'all think I'm going to know it, right? Amen. I mean, Genesis 1. Noah's so easy, of course. The animals will fall two by two. Okay, Genesis 1, 16. I'm going to talk about the sun and the moon. We talked about this last time I preached, so here's a little recap. Okay. God made two great lights. 
The greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set them in the expanse of the sky to give light on the earth, to govern the day and the night, and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. So we see that he called two great lights, right? This is just an example. He called the sun and the moon. Two great lights. And they had the same calling to govern the day and the night, to separate light from darkness. But they function completely different, don't they? They don't occupy the same space. They're not together all the time. They're not doing the same things. Neither am I with my husband. I don't occupy the same space. I don't have the same function as him, but we work together to complete the calling. Jen is my ministry partner. We don't occupy the same space. We don't, a lot of times we do similar things, but we're not doing the same things. We're balancing each other. We're working off of each other. I'm completing what she's trying to do, and she's helping me complete what I'm trying to do. We're working together to build the kingdom of God. This is how God's kingdom works, two by two. Okay, let's turn to Genesis 41. We know that everything is established by two or more witnesses, right? This is throughout the Bible. He said this in Deuteronomy 19.15. If you're taking notes and you want to just make a note of that. But in Genesis 41.32, talking about Pharaoh. Pharaoh had two dreams, and this was about the famine that was coming, right? Joseph had to interpret these dreams. So why did he have two dreams? Why wasn't one dream good enough, right? God spoke a message, get it interpreted, no big deal. Okay, no, this is what he says. Genesis 41, 32 says, The reason the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is that the matter has been firmly decided by God, and God will do it soon. So that seems to be a clue right there. It's been firmly decided by God. It wasn't like, well, maybe we'll kind of head in this direction. Let me see how Pharaoh reacts, and then maybe I'll change my mind. No, it was established by two or more witnesses. It's going to happen. It's like that thing that the teachers say. If I repeat it twice, it's on the test, right? Okay, so when the Lord repeats something over and over and over, he wants you to get it. He's establishing this two by two. This is how he establishes his work on the earth. He establishes it two by two because there's two witnesses. So Matt's calling. Matt's calling is, what's your call? What's in your mezuzah? To propel others into his presence. To propel others into God's presence. Okay, that's his calling, but not his independently. That's our entire household's calling. So how do I participate in that? Because I'm not up here singing. Well, Matt doesn't participate in that calling just by singing and leading worship. We're propelling others into his presence everywhere we go. And so it looks differently in Matt's life than it does in mine. I'm running a homeschool co-op. I'm propelling little kids into God's presence. I'm going in the grocery store and speaking to Muslim women and trying to encourage them, propel them into God's presence. We have different functions, but the same calling, and we complete it together. Does that make sense? Did I drive that home good enough? Okay. In Matthew 18, 19, it says, If two agree, it will be done. Two or more witnesses. The Lord even honors the things that we do, that we decide. If Matt and I get together and we decide, hey, let's um, let's do this with our family. Let's head in this direction. I feel like this is the way the Lord is going. Let's ask him, excuse me, for provision in this area. To agree, it will be done. Man, isn't that a blessing? The Lord not only calls you two by two, but he says, if you work two by two, then I'll help you. I'll be the grease on those wheels. I'll make it happen. I'll give you everything you need. So what happens if you're not working like that? What if you're not working in conjunction with someone else and you're out on your own, you're independent? Well, we're fixing to get there. I don't, it's, uh, it's not nice, so let's move on. We're still in the good stuff right now. Okay, um, two more things that are two by two. Two tablets of the law in Exodus 31, right? 
when when um, God carved into those tablets the law, he could have carved it in one piece. What, you think God couldn't use a smaller font and get it on one piece? He had two, he had two tablets, two tablets, two witnesses. There were also two cherubim over the ark. This is, a, this is just a repeating pattern. You see God's serious about something. It's been firmly decided in his head. It's repeated twice. Okay, so we have an enemy. We have an enemy, the devil, who likes to work very hard to abort the work of God, or he wants to handicap the work of God, or he wants to defraud the work of God, right? He wants to kind of look similar to the work of God, but be a little, be a little funky. Um, he wants to abort it. He wants to stop it before it really gets off its tracks. Or once you're going in the work of God, he wants to handicap you so you can't really go as far as you'd like to go with Jesus. The devil does that, right? We all have experiences of, the, experiences of that. And I want to share with y'all um, a little bit of my testimony. Uh, this was what I, was in the dream, and I feel like it's important. Um, and I'm not really sure why, but somebody out there, this will reach your heart. Um, Matt spoke about our calling uh, to have children, and we were, we were called to have children. Um, when we were dating, we went to go visit a couple who had just had a baby, and um, we were in the early stages of dating, and I, of course we get there and I want to hold the baby, and so I'm sitting in the chair holding the baby, no big deal, just visiting with a couple, and Matt looks over at me and he goes, oh my God, you're called to be a mama. Never. I mean, women know how to hold babies. What's the big deal? You know, it's no big deal. And he wouldn't stop talking about it. He kept talking about it, talking about it. the weeks that we were engaged and leading up to the wedding. So I'm like, you were called to be a mom. And I'm like, it was weird me out. I just, just, I never felt like I would have children. It was kind of a strange thing. It's like, oh, I don't really want kids. I don't know about all that. Even when we got married at the wedding, the pastor pronounced a blessing over my womb when we would produce children. We would raise the godly, and I laughed. You can see it on the video. I'm laughing, I'm like, ah, oh, it's so weird, funny. I don't know about it. <laughs> it's totally weird. But God did something amazing, and I'm going to tell you this process. There's this, there's a process. So if you're taking notes, I'm going to give you four steps to this process, and I'm going to show you how it happened in my life. Number one is when you're called, there's a weight, right? You're called, it doesn't immediately happen. You feel that calling, but it doesn't happen right then. And Matt spoke about this in his message. Um, there's a way. Number two, you're prepared. And number three, you're disappointed. And sometimes these are happening at the same time. Okay, so you get the call and the wait, and then you get the time of preparation and disappointment. And those things are kind of happening at the same time. And who knows how long that takes. But number four is the fulfillment, and that's what you're trying to get to, right? So a lot of times we think, well, I'm called to be a worship leader, or I'm called to be a pastor's wife, or I'm called to be a mama, I'm called to be a husband, I'm called to be in ministry in some function, I don't know what it is yet, so I'm just going to start doing it. Well, there's a wait. There's a wait. There's a preparation time. And God does something. You think, well, do we have to have the disappointment stage? Yeah, you do. You do because there's this something that it does to your heart to prepare you for the fulfillment. You're not ready for it. And that's how it happened in my own life. So there I am getting married with Matt and um, kids. It's like, yeah, maybe in the future. We got married when we were 22, right before we turned 23. And I'm thinking, we've got time for that. I'm not in any rush. Well, lo and behold, about six months into our marriage, found out I was pregnant. It was like, okay, <laughs> this isn't really happening. Okay, but I felt safe. You know, I had a good husband. I had a good church. I had good support around me. 
thought this, okay, this is not what I thought it would be, but we can do this. And we began to make preparations and we got excited and we bought baby name books and went to the doctor's appointments and we started talking about moving because we were in a one bedroom apartment and we were all excited. And um, we went, let's see, I was about eight weeks pregnant, we went to the doctor for a second checkup because the first one they said, well, we're just not really sure, just come in, and I was naive, I didn't know, I thought that was just normal, so we went in for the second appointment, and um, they did the ultrasound again, which they had done it the week before, and we saw the little heart beating, you can see the little heart, you can, you can tell, if you've ever seen an ultrasound, you see that little flutter, there's no denying what that is. And so the second ultrasound, they're doing it, and you can see the little shape, the little bean, and it's still. And I'm like, okay, maybe they just need to look around a little bit, move the, move the little probe. Nothing. And I can see the, the technician's face. And um, she puts everything down. She says, I'll be right back. And it just, I look at Matt and fear just gripped me because I'm thinking our idyllic world is about to come crashing down. I mean, bad things aren't supposed to happen to, to Christians, right? I, mean, I, don't, I don't live in the world anymore. I don't. Don't I live under the blessings of God? What is this? Aren't I called to be a mother? Why, why would this be happening? And the doctor comes in and delivers us, delivers the bad news, and um, I was devastated. I mean, I just, from, the, from my gut, just wept and wept. And it was just this heart-wrenching, it, it was just, it was like an insult to my walk with the Lord. I felt so insulted by the enemy. How could you? How could you have access to steal this baby from us? And I, I couldn't understand it. I didn't understand it. But it was a beautiful thing because it brought Matt and I close to the point where we, we just hadn't been before. It grew us up really quick to have to go through a tragedy like that. And so there was this immediate disappointment, but yet the hand of God was still working because the call was still there. Just because there was a disappointment didn't mean that the call ended. The call was still there. And I knew that there was still hope. And my husband encouraged me, and I encouraged him when he was down. And we began to seek diligently the face of God for children. Whereas before, it was just kind of like, yeah, it'll happen, whatever, it'll, when it happens. At that point, it became an all-out fight. Oh, no, we didn't. You're not going to steal this from me. I am called to be a mother. Amen. I am called to be a family of God. I am called to produce righteous children. And you're not going to steal from me. And so we began to seek the Lord. And I would get on my face and I would bawl. And it, it was so good. This, this horrible thing, it was so good for me because it caused me to seek the Lord. I realized how weak and fragile I was emotionally. And I needed Him. I needed Him to assure me that the call was still true for me. That it was still going to happen for me. And so this went on for a few years. Um, let's see, that happened in December. The next year, uh, we were, it was a constant thing that was on our minds. We were actually at Eric and Jen's house for a Bible study because they were doing this way back then, even back then. This was in 2000, 1999. 99. This is in 99. So we were at a Bible study in Eric and Jen's house. And um, a brother, Gary Williams, prophesied to me during that meeting. Well, Eric started prophesying to me, and it was encouraging. He was telling me I was beautiful before the Lord, and that the Lord heard my cries, and all of that was, it was awesome. It was encouraging. And then Gary Williams came right in behind, and he says, there is life all over you. There is life all over you. But the Lord says that, like Hannah, you will struggle to bear God the fruit. But in the end, 
it will come from your own body. Because that was the big question, okay? You, you kind of get caught in that, and the devil starts playing on your weaknesses. Well, maybe my body just can't have children. Maybe we'll have children, but we'll adopt. And come into grips with that, and is that good enough? If the Lord calls us to adopt, is that good enough? Am I going to be satisfied with that? We're wrestling with that thought. And when Gary spoke that to me, it was encouraging that that fruit would come from my own body. Praise God. And I wrote it in my Bible and I clung to that and it was so good. And that was on a Saturday night. And that Sunday morning I went to my pastor, Pastor Buzz, and I said, Pastor Buzz, Gary Williams gave me this prophecy last night and I don't know what to make of it because it said, it didn't say I did struggle. It said I will struggle to bear fruit. And I don't understand, does this mean that I'm going to have more miscarriages? What does this mean? And he laid his hands on me and he said, oh no, baby, there is life. You're pregnant right now. Amen. You're pregnant. If you're not pregnant now, you will be soon. I see it all over you. And it was like, I'm totally confused, okay? I'm, I'm like, you know, we're supposed to wait a prophecy. We're supposed to judge this. And um, I've I'm, I'm got basically two conflicting reports. I'm going to struggle, but there's like, I don't understand this. So we went home and to pray about it, and it was Labor Day weekend. So the next day, I think we we're having a barbecue at our house and a lot of people coming over and that night I started to spot and I thought what is this I don't, I don't understand is this just normal woman function or is this pregnancy am I losing the baby and so Matt went and got a pregnancy test and I don't know why I don't know why we did that but we had to know and we took it and it was positive but I lost the baby the next day so it was just heart-wrenching, like, haven't we gone through enough? I mean, isn't this enough? We've already lost one baby, now there's two babies. And would it, would it have been better if we just didn't know, you know? Then I didn't have to go through all of this again. And I don't know if you've ever lost someone close to you, if you've ever gone through a grief. It's like the moment that you get that bad news, you don't instantly feel all the grief that's coming, but you know that wave is coming. And you just want to be in someone else's body for a little while. You just want to check out and go live somewhere else until all that passes and then come back and pick up the pieces because you know it's coming and you know how it's going to feel. And we had just gone through this nine months before, and so here we are again, losing another baby. It's like, it was just, it was heartbreaking, you know? But after that, again, we go through the process of grief and, and the questions and the wondering why, but still clinging to the promise that God is calling us to be parents. And so we got on our face even more. It drove us deeper after the call of God. And that's, I think, why we got victory, because we didn't let it stop us. We didn't let it discourage us from what God had called us to. We knew that this was coming. We had to fight for it. And that's what you have to do. That's part of the process of the call. You have to fight for it. You have to run after it. Amen. You will be opposed. You're going to be opposed. Of course, we have an enemy. He's looking to abort the calling in your life. He's looking to handicap you so that you won't fulfill it or defraud it, give you something similar. Kind of like how Abraham was called to have a child with Sarah, and they went the route of her maidservant, you know? Yeah, that's a defrauding work of God. And God said, no, I mean, I'll bless him because he's yours, Abraham. But that's not what I was after. I told you a wife would come, I mean, a child would come from your wife. And that's what I'm going to do. But the devil works hard to get us convinced that it's going to have to happen another way because there's no possible way God can do what he said. He can do what he said. Amen. So 
few years pass and we do we go through all this rigmarole of finding out what's going on with my body and all that. None of that really matters because we got a revelation in church one day. We were praying again. It's like this constant thing. I felt like, let me just tell y'all, I, I wrote it in my Bible. I felt like the desire for children was always right here and it was choking me. And I couldn't escape it. I couldn't not want babies. I'd see a pregnant woman and I'd have to force myself to be happy for her because I was just so devastated inside. I just wanted it for myself. I wanted that baby. You know, and it was right here and it would choke me. So every church service, every Bible study, that's what was on my mind. It drove me to the heart of pursuing this. And what happened was um, we went through various treatments and all of that, but Matt got a revelation one day and he saw um, it was like an archer with an arrow drawn back and he all of a sudden we had the enemy in our sight. And no longer was he going to taunt us with this calling. No longer was it going to be like that. There would be fulfillment. And it was just a few short months later I found out I was pregnant with Natalie. And Natalie was born three years to the day of the first miscarriage. Which is such an amazing testimony. It was such, it was so awesome. Three years to the day. And I just, you know, I mean that meant something special to me because the Lord has perfect timing for the fulfillment of your calling. And y'all know we have four kids, right? We have four. So this wasn't just a one-time testimony. The Lord wasn't done with that. We thought that we would have to fight for the second one. We thought we would have to fight so much that we began to try when Natalie was a year old, thinking we'll have to go to the doctor again and convince them to give us, you know, some fertility drugs or anything. So let's go ahead and try now. So by the time we get there, and you know, we're trying to space the babies out and not kill me over it, got pregnant the very first month. And then got pregnant for Chloe. It's like, boom, boom, boom. And that, Matt would joke. He said, my wife's like a weed eater. Very hard to get her started. But now that she's started, I can't turn her off. <laughs> so at some point, we're like, okay, stop praying for us. This is enough. I'm going crazy. Okay. So anyway, we had to be. Um, then we ended up having another miscarriage before Amy Shell, which was really just kind of off the wall. Because you think, all right, we're already walking in this calling. What is this? Where this is just coming from left field. And, you know, the, the surprising thing about that miscarriage is that it happened on a Labor Day weekend. And so I found out I was pregnant, and I immediately told Eric and Jen and told people in the church, and we were all excited, and everybody's saying, this is your boy, I know it, I've heard from the Lord, this is your boy. And we again had a big uh, party planned at our house for um, Labor Day on that Monday. So we had all these people coming over, and that morning I woke up and started spotting, and I was like, shh. And then we lost the, the baby, and it was like, I mean, just totally blindsided because you think, well, I have overcome this, and I am walking in my calling. You know, you're not going to do this to me. Yeah, sometimes those things happen. Sometimes you have to take four steps back because God's got a different purpose, a different plan. And as difficult as Angel is, I know she was desired by the Lord. I know she was. Jen prophesied over me an awesome prophecy about about Amy, that there was no mistake that she was to be born at the time she was to be born with a personality that God had an awesome calling on her. And if you've ever been around Amy Shell, you know she is a determined little girl. And she has got a, a deep well of um, determination. <laughs> That's so important. And, and if we do what God has called us to do as parents and raise her up correctly in the Lord, she'll be a mighty force for his kingdom. Mm -hmm. So all of these things work together to build this call to build the kingdom of God. And this is, this is just 
how it looked in my life, just one little facet of how it looked. I was called to be a mother, and there was a weight, and there was disappointment, and there was preparation. Through all of that trial and travailing for these children, it prepared my heart to love them and to be the mother that I am to them today. And so they've got a better mother because of that, and they will go out and be better mothers because of the preparation and the suffering that I went through, and I'm glad to go through it for them. Okay, so let's get to the, uh, the difficult. <clears throat> let's go to Psalm 1-1. Psalm 1-1. Okay, so back to two by two. We're called two by two, right? We're called to be in pairs. We're called to work in pairs. <clears throat> There's forces that come against us that try to pull us apart. Okay? You see this happen over and over with church splits. You see this happen over and over with divorces. This is rampant in church life. The devil is working very hard to isolate us. Okay, what does Psalm 1-1 say? Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. Okay, go back to 1-1. I like the first, we're going to focus on the first part of this. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. Okay, so what that means is, blessed are you when you walk in the counsel of the righteous. Right? That's what that means. They're using the, the negative there. Okay? So the opposite of that is, you're not blessed when you do walk in the counsel of the wicked. So why does the devil work to isolate us? Because when we are out isolated, we are not in the counsel of the righteous. We're in the counsel of our own thoughts. And I've said this to you guys before. Your own thoughts and your own emotions are liars. And you, when you are left alone with your own thoughts, that is the counsel of the wicked. Because your own thoughts are not redeemed. They're not redeemed. That comes from just your own fleshly desires, your own emotions going over and over in your head. If it does not line up with the word of God... If you're not getting the counsel of the wicked, if your thoughts are not the word of God, and you're relying on them, then you're walking in the counsel of the wicked. And the devil knows this. And this is why he wants to isolate you. Because when you're alone with your thoughts, does anything ever good, good come out of your time that you spend alone? When you think, I just need to be by myself for a little while. Everybody's been in my face. I just need to be alone. Don't you usually get more angry? Don't you usually get more frustrated? Because what are you doing? Be honest. You are replaying that last conversation you had with whoever you're aggravated with. And you're saying, I should have said this. And I really made mad that they said this. You go through that over and over and over. And there is nothing productive about it. What you should be doing if you want to spend time alone is this. Put your face in the Word of God and get His mind on what just happened. Eric calls it the treadmill. I, I've got one of those personalities too. I don't go to sleep at night until all these matters are settled in my head and I've worked it out. And I won't. I'll call somebody 3 o'clock in the morning. Maybe not that late, but I'll get it done before 3 o'clock in the morning. I'll call them and say, look, I'm just, this is bothering me. And if I don't talk to you about it right now, then um, it's going to bother me. And I won't be able to sleep or I won't be able to do what I need to do today. I've got to get this settled, you know, because it'll just go over and over. Y'all, does anybody else out there have the treadmill that goes on in your head? Yes. Curtis, yeah, you're with me, huh? Okay, so you've got two... Uh, you've got these forces pulling you apart, okay? Ministry partners. You've got these forces pulling ministry partners apart, husband and wife. I want to tell you, I want to talk a little bit about ministry partners, what I mean by that. That is not just 
two pastors at the head of the church. That's how it looks in my life, but that's not how it looks in your life. And that's okay. God's called you to an independent walk with him. He's got a, a calling that's unique to you. But I'm telling you that he has called you to walk alongside with somebody. Amen. There is no flying solo in the kingdom of God. Do you feel passionate about something? Well, I'm, I'm going to tell you right now that you are called to be passionate about something and to do something for the kingdom of God with somebody else. And I'm not just talking about your spouse. That's secondary. Well, not secondary, but okay. We'll talk about that in a second. Okay? We're talking about ministry partners. Now, they're called. Somebody might be called to join you in your calling. Or you might be called to join them in their calling. But most of the time, it's both. Okay? Now, Matthew joined Eric in the calling of Sugarland, But Eric joined him in the calling of the kingdom way back when they first got born again. And Matthew completes the task that Eric has been purposed to do. And Eric completes the task that Matt has been purposed to do. They work together. Think about Barnabas and Paul, right? Paul couldn't be verified. Nobody wanted to have anything to do with him because he had been murdering their relatives three weeks before, and now he's born again. Born again and he wants to participate with the other apostles. And everybody's scared to death of him. I don't know about this guy, right? So Barnabas takes him and vouches for him. Well, also there was the wave. Remember, Paul spent 14 years preparing for the falling. Okay? But Barnabas vouched for him. Barnabas had to establish his credibility with these guys, and he put that on the line for Paul. And they go, he brings Paul along with him, and they go ministering, and pretty soon you see Paul taking the lead. They worked in different functions, but they completed the same calling. And at some point, they were called to go in opposite directions, and God brought them another ministry partner. We don't hear about Barnabas, but we do hear that Paul had Silas, and he had Timothy, and he had these other guys working along with him. But you never see someone operating solo in the Word of God that is successful. You might see someone operating solo, but I'll tell you, take three steps back because there's going to be some falling happening. What happens when you are operating solo in the calling of God, you're not accountable. You're left alone with your thoughts, right? They're going to deceive you. They're going to lead you the wrong way. You need that partner alongside of you. Okay, so some of you guys are single, and you're saying, what do I do about my calling right now? Well, first you need to decide... You need to seek the Lord and, and discern what season you're in. Okay, you've gotten that call, but are you in the waiting, the preparation, the disappointment period? Because the fulfillment is going to take a while. So you might just need to slow down a minute and focus on your relationship with the Lord. Okay? Now, you also need to slow down a minute and wait for the spouse that God is bringing you. Because it's very, very rare that God is going to call someone to be alone. Okay? And even if they are calling you, I've got a mother-in-law. I've got a mother-in-law who, bless her heart, is staying home with my sick kid right now. And she's not here. But she is, she's joining our household very soon. In the next month, she'll be joining our household. Now, she is not married and doesn't foresee that in her future. We'll see what God has for her. But as, as far as her heart goes, she doesn't see that in her future. But she is perfectly satisfied and fulfilled by joining our household and the calling that's in our household. And I encourage you that if you are single and you don't feel like the Lord is going to bring you a spouse, you need to be a part of something that's going on with someone else. By yourself, you're going to be picked off. You're going to be isolated. It's not going to happen. But if you're in that period of waiting and you believe that the Lord does have a spouse coming for you, prepare yourself for that spouse. 
Be in preparation for that calling before you start thinking ahead to the ministry calling. The ministry calling will happen, but it will be birthed out of your home. So if you're not going to be a good wife, if you're not going to be a good husband, how do you expect ministry to flow from your home? You need to be preparing yourself for that now. Okay, so that was about ministry partners, husband and wife. We have uh, horses pulling us, pulling against us. I want to encourage y'all with something. Y'all turn to Proverbs 31 real quick. I know we're going long. I don't even know what time it is, but we're good. Y'all aren't falling asleep on me? Because I got a couple, just two more good things to share with you, and then I'll let you go. Proverbs, thank you, brother. Proverbs 31. Who in here has gone through the marriage counseling teaching? <laughs> Nick and Sam like, <laughs> Okay, so you know this. Spencer, did you raise your hand? Okay. <laughs> you know this. This is our love language. This is part of our love language. We ask the husbands to speak this to the wives or the wives-to-be. But let's look at verse 12. We're talking about what is a good wife, right? Verse 12. <laughs> She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. Wow. All the days of her life? Even when he's irritated her? Even when he's hurt her feelings? Even when he didn't come home one time? Or he didn't pick up what he was supposed to pick up? Even, are we still supposed to bring him good and not harm all the days of our life? Yes. Yes. This goes back to that cheerleader, the biggest fan. And husbands, you're supposed to be that for your wives, too. You want a radiant and glorious bride? Encourage her. Be her biggest fan. Tell her she's doing a good job. She needs to hear that. We need to be loving towards each other and not be tearing each other down. The devil is working hard to rip you apart. I'm telling you that. If you're married, the devil is working hard to rip you apart. That's his goal. He wants to destroy your marriage. Because when he destroys your marriage, he's going to defraud the work of God. What does that look like to the outside world, to all the people that you've been ministering to or witnessing to if you get divorced? What does that look like? Jesus is more good for them than, it, than he is for the rest of the world. Why should I believe in him? I mean, it defrauds the work of God. He's working very hard against you. So work equally as hard in the other direction. Even though you feel hurt, even though you feel put out, or taken advantage of, or frustrated, or forgotten. Love them anyway. Love them with your actions and shut your mouth, wives. <laughs> shut your mouth sometimes and just love them. This is for me too. This is not, I'm not just fussing at y'all. I need to be healed. <laughs> okay. So there's two types of forces that pull against us. That's it. Amen. Shut up. <laughs> Okay, so there's two types of forces. There's the forces inside your own head, your own heart that try to pull us apart, and there's outside forces. So let me briefly go through these inside forces. Two inside forces. Independence. Woo! Yeah, that pulls you apart from your ministry partner or from your spouse. I can just be independent. I can just turn that little love, that little affection right off and just go on and do my thing. Have my day. They can have their day. I'll wash their clothes for them, whatever, and just move on. Independence. Can't be independent. Okay? God gave you weaknesses so that you would depend on the person he's called you in. Okay? That's a humbling thing. I'm facing this every day. Okay? I am a prideful human being, and I think I know what the right thing to do is, and I think I, I've got it under control. And the Lord reminds me daily. 
And Jen is so patient with me. God bless her <laughs> to humble me and show me you are not always right. And she doesn't talk to me like that. I'm not, this, is, this, is how the, this is how vision the Lord talking to me. You are not always right. Just shut up and learn. You know? <laughs> so I, I have to fight against that, that force that wars against me to want to pull away from Jen and just do it myself. I can do it. To pull away from Matt and just do it myself. To pull away from you guys and say, I don't need your help. I don't need your encouragement. I don't need your rebuke, I can do it myself. Shame on me. And shame on you if you do that too. Okay? The second inside force, this is the big one that pulls against you, is offenses. Who's offended? Who's gotten offended this week? Y'all all raise your hands. You're lying. <laughs> Every one of y'all got offended this week. I know. If not, I need to know your secret. Okay, so we all get offended. People step on our toes all the time, and that just shows us that there's a whole bunch of flesh still left coming on to us, right? Somebody hurts your feelings? Dead men don't feel anything. <laughs> Did y'all know that? Dead men don't feel anything. We're called to, to get up on the cross every day, right? So we need to lay that aside. This is a good, this is a good proverb. Let's turn to Proverb 27. Let's turn back a couple pages. There was a, um, there was a situation a couple years back when Matt and I were trying to decide about homeschooling our children, and I was conflicted about it. We were going through the details and the muck and the mire, trying to figure out how to work all this out, and um, and I had talked I had talked to Jen about it, and she was trying to encourage me, but she said something that hurt my feelings, and sorry. Jen. <laughs> it hurt my feelings. And I went to that and I was like, I just don't understand why she would say this, why she wouldn't be in support of me. She knows that I'm struggling with this. I just don't understand it. And he said, I don't know, Cass. I don't know. I'm, i got to discern this. I need to pray about this. He said, but this is the scripture of the day on my phone today. And it's just thumping in my heart. And it's Proverbs 27, 6. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. I'm like, I don't know. It doesn't make any sense, but you need to trust it. Do you trust Jen? Yes. Has she always loved you? Yes. Has she always looked out for your good? Of course. Well, then you can trust this. But this just doesn't seem right. I mean, it's just so hurtful, Matt. And he said, no, we need to sit down with him. Let's talk about this. But you need to hang your hat on this and, and trust this. And so we met, and Jen expressed her heart, and it was like, the veil was removed, and I saw her true attention of it, and it wasn't at all how I had interpreted what she had said. She didn't mean it at all like I thought she had meant it. It was totally different, and I was blinded by my own emotions and my own thoughts because they lie to you, right? They cannot be trusted, but a friend can be trusted, okay? So you are going to be offended by your spouse. You probably were offended by them today, or you will be before you go to bed, right? You probably will be offended by your ministry partner. I can tell you right now, this ministry will offend you. We will step on your toes. Because the, the call of God has called us to strip away the flesh. And that's what an offense really is. It's pointing out a piece of flesh still hanging on you and ripping it off. And it doesn't feel good. But what do we do with that? So how do we fight against this force that's trying to pull us away from the ministry God's called us to? How do we, what's the big, what's the big word? Does anybody have any idea what do we do with an offense? Start with an F. Forgive. 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 Let's turn to Mark 11, 25. Mark 
when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him so that your Father in heaven may forgive your sins. And my little footnote says, some manuscripts say, but if you do not forgive, neither will your Father who is in heaven forgive your sins. So that's a big one. You think you can hold on to an offense? No, you can't. You can't because the Lord won't forgive you. So if any of y'all ever had one of those seasons with the Lord where you just kind of felt numb, you just like, I just don't feel it. I mean, I come into worship and I see everybody else tears and the Holy Ghost obviously fell, but I just don't feel it. I'm reading the Word, I just don't get anything. I just don't have that connection. If any of y'all felt that numb, Dustin's the only one that's felt numb. Yeah, I had those too. I have those. Now, well, I got a revelation a couple, about a month ago about this. Um, does anybody in here have calluses on your hands? When you touch them, can you feel right there? Can you feel your calluses? No, it's numb, right? So that, that's a big indication of what's going on in your heart. When you're numb, there's a callus there, and it comes from unforgiveness. So the next time you feel that numbness, that kind of like disconnected, where is God, I don't know what's going on, that should be an immediate red flag for you to seek out your heart and, and Lord, reveal to me, what, who do I have, what do I have against someone? Who is it that I'm harboring unforgiveness for? Where is that bitterness in me? Now that may not always be the case, but I'm almost certain, I, I would stake my life on it, that that numbness is coming from bitterness and unforgiveness. Because I've seen it over and over and over again in counseling. I've seen it even more so over and over again in my own heart. That numbness, that disconnection from God is a callous and it comes from unforgiveness. It's going to rip you apart. It's going to rip you apart from the calling. It's the devil winning and defrauding and aborting the work of God in your life. Okay, what, where are we on time? I need to wrap up. Two minutes. Show me two minutes. Let's, let's turn to Genesis 31. I want to tell y'all something about Laban. Do y'all know who Laban is? Yes. Okay. So what do y'all think about Laban? Good guy or bad guy? Bad guy. Bad guy. Bad guy. Everybody's pretty, pretty much. Why y'all think he's bad guy? Because he, because he kind of. He swindled Jacob. He swindled Jacob. Gave him two brides, right? Well, I just want to present a, a little different perspective about Laban, okay? Imagine if you're Leah. Now, is Laban a bad guy? No, he's your daddy, right? He's looking out for you, okay? So we kind of have these people in our life. These are these outside forces that work to pull you from the work of God. Um, we have these people in our lives. They may be family members. They may be close friends. And they have um, earned a voice in your life, okay? Now, for whatever reason, they've earned a voice in your life. You Maybe you haven't examined their lives very well, but they do have a voice in your life. And they war against what you know God's called you to, okay? So let's go to, um, let's see, in chapter 31, look at verse 3. <clears throat> Laban's just a father-in-law. He loves his daughters. You know, he kind of tricked Jacob, but Jacob isn't the most honest guy in the world either, okay? And he gave them both of them. So the big misconception is that Jacob worked for seven years and he got Leah, and then he had to work another seven years before he got Rachel. No, he worked for seven years, got Leah, had the bridal week, and then got Rachel. Then he had to work seven years, but he had Rachel, so don't feel so bad for Jacob, okay? So Laban's just a, just a, a dad who loves his girls. 
I can identify. Okay. So look at verse uh, 31, verse 3. Then the Lord said to Jacob, Go back to the land of your fathers and to your relatives, and I will be with you. Okay, so Jacob receives a call. That's the call. Let's skip down to 19. When Laban had gone to shear his sheep, Rachel stole her father's household gods. Okay, well, uh, what's Rachel doing with that? Moreover, Jacob deceived Laban the Aramean by not telling him he was running away. So Jacob didn't exactly handle things the best way. Okay, he had kind of he gotten tired of working for Laban. He had gotten tired of um, sharing the land, and they weren't Laban's workers weren't being exactly fair to Jacob. So he decided to to move to a different area. Okay, why didn't he just tell Laban, look, guy, well, I've been here, you know, close to 20 years. I'm ready to get out on our own. You send me off with your blessing. You know, he sneaks off in the middle of the night. It's not very good. And Rachel steals her father's household gods. Another bad flag. Okay, so turn over to verse 31. So this is when Laban comes and um, addresses Jacob. Why'd you do this? I just wanted to kiss my daughters goodbye. You've done a foolish thing. Okay, verse 31. Jacob answered Laban, I was afraid because I thought you would take your daughters away from me by force. But if you find anyone who has your gods, he shall not live. And we know the story, right? Rachel's got them hidden underneath her, her the, the saddle she's sitting on. She won't stand up in the presence. So what's Rachel doing, participating with her dad? There's obviously some sympathies there. We see that Leah probably is very thankful for her father, securing for her a husband. But Rachel now, she's compromised, and she's got her father's household gods. Okay, let's look at verse 43. This is where you can kind of see Laban's heart. Laban answered Jacob, The women are my daughters, the children are my children, and the flocks are my flocks. All you see is mine. Yet what can I do today about these daughters of mine, or about the children they have born? Come now, let's make a covenant, you and I, and let it serve as a witness between us. He's just a dad. He just didn't want his daughters taken away from him. He just wanted access to this family. So you kind of have a little sympathy for him. You say, oh, well, you know, Jacob did kind of defraud him. He didn't really go about this the right way. So they set up this heap, and they and he says, you know, don't mistreat my daughters. And Jacob says, I'm not going to mistreat your daughters. I'll take good, good care of them. Okay, so verse 52. This heap is a witness, and this pillar, this is Laban speaking. This heap is a witness, and this pillar is a witness, that I will not go past this heap to your side to harm you, and that you will not go past this heap and pillar to my side to harm me. May the God of Abraham and the God of Nahor, the God of their father, judge between us. Okay, is the God of Nahor the same as the God of Abraham? I don't know if y'all remember who Nahor is. Nahor is Abraham's uncle. Yes. Okay, and Abraham's father was an idol worshiper. And his brother was an idol worshiper. So the God of Abraham is certainly not the same as the God of Nahor. So you see right there that Jacob has some compromise in his life. Not Jacob, Laban has some compromise in his life. And I bring up that point to tell you this. These people that you've given a voice in your life because they're just your dad or they're just a friend that I've served the Lord with for a long time and they just don't understand why this church is telling me to do this or they don't understand why my husband's saying to do this or they don't understand why the Lord has told me to do this. And they're just trying to give me some wise, godly counsel about how I should handle this. But you know what the Lord has already told you. Have you examined their life to see if there's compromise in their life? Because Laban 
was just a dad, right? But he doesn't have the mind of Christ. There's that counsel of the wicked again. Okay? He's compromised. He's got, he's willing to honor the God of Abraham, but he's also honoring these other carved idols, these images. He's compromised. So these forces are going to pull against you. You are going to have outside forces working against your marriage. Why did you marry that man? Why, what is he telling you to do? Y'all are moving where? And what, what is your church doing again? Why are you going with that person to the third ward in the middle of the night? Why are you going with Elijah rising in the middle of the night? What, what's going on with that? You need to examine these voices outside that are pulling against the call that God has spoken to you and see if there's compromise. Because if it is, you need to cut that off. You don't need to let that come in and work to destroy what God has called Amen. you to. Okay? Amen. I don't know about y'all, but we, we war with that sometimes. We have well-meaning relatives who think we're crazy for homeschooling our kids, who think we're crazy for keeping them out late on a Wednesday night to go to church. I mean, just absurdities. And it's well-meaning, and it's part of you wants to honor them because, well, it's, that's your aunt, and you love them, or that's your dad, or that's your mom, or whoever it is. But if there's compromise in their life, they're not giving you godly advice. Because if there's not a compromise in their life, and they are giving you godly advice, it's going to line up with what God's told you. Does that make sense? This also is about ministry team, too. If the ministry team is telling you something, if the leadership of the, that God has placed in your life is counteracting what you feel the Lord has called you to, that doesn't mean that, that the leadership team is right, but you owe it to God and the, the order that he's established in your life to at least pause and consider it, okay? Because your leadership team does line up with the Word of God. There is not compromise in, in our lives, and we have your best interest in heart. I know a lot of times Matt and Eric sit down with people and they say, hey, slow down just a little bit because I see you making this decision, and I just want to caution you. And there's that opportunity for offense right there. But honestly, there are times when others need to speak into your life. It's why you're called to work with other people. Because other people need to have that opportunity to speak into your life, to slow you down when you might be being impetuous in a decision or, or taking something going way off far in the wrong direction. A lot of times we'll hear after services, um, someone heard the message and they say, oh man, that message was so good, it applied right to my life, and this is how it applied. And it's completely crazy application of the word. That's not at all what the Lord has intended. You need to slow down. And it's good to be zealous about what you think the Lord is telling you, but listen for wise counsel. And, and be willing to have your toes stepped on a little bit so that you can be directed in the path of righteousness for your sake. Okay, so here's a recipe for disaster. Y'all know I got recipes, right? Brandon and I joke all the time. I got four, four ingredient recipes. I need to write a whole cookbook with just four ingredient recipes. Here's a four ingredient recipe. But this is not a good recipe. This is a recipe for disaster. Okay, so you want disaster in your life. You want the devil to win. This is how you do it. Okay, the first step for a recipe for disaster is when opposition wanes, when things get easy. Okay, that's the first, oh gosh, you think, oh good, finally a break from the trial and the struggle and I can just coast for a little while. Whoa, put on the brakes. You need to seek the Lord. When you notice things start getting easy, you better dive into the Word and seek after God a little bit harder because because this is a trick, okay? Number one, opposition wanes. Number two, what you do when opposition wanes, what I do, is we stop seeking the Lord, right? We lose interaction with Him, 
in prayer time. We lose interaction with him in reading the word. We decide not to fellowship quite as much because we don't need it, right? We're doing good. Everything's good. So you kind of just pull back a little bit. And you think, I'm good. This is good. I can miss that meeting. I can not read my word this morning. I don't have to really pray. I'm doing good today. I'm good. Me and Jesus, we got it right. We're doing good. Okay, number three. After you stop seeking the Lord, you begin to act in your own way. You go your own way. Pastor Eric just preached about this, right? Everybody just kind of chose their own way. This is your self-sufficiency. Matt was preaching about this too, that independent nature in us where we don't need anybody. I'm sufficient all on my own. I don't need anybody. This comes from things getting easy, you pulling back from your intimacy with the Lord, then you begin to do things on your own by not seeking Him. Okay? And the fourth step in the recipe for disaster is you refuse correction. Things are easy. Right? I don't really need to seek the Lord. I know what he said. I'm doing that. I'm good. And I can do it this way. Because it's okay. I didn't get my daily bread today to find out exactly how he wanted me to carry it out today. But I kind of know what he wants me to do. So I'm just going to do it my way. And then when someone says, hey, Brother, I thought you were heading in this direction with the Lord. You, I, I'm kind of worried about you because this looks a little shaky. You refuse correction because you think you've got it. If you think this is a true, read the book of Second Chronicles. Read about those kings that were doing good for 60 years and failed the Lord. Would you like that to be your story? I tell my girls all the time, it doesn't matter how good you're doing now. I'm glad you're doing good in the Lord now. If you don't finish this race, you will go to hell. You will. Do you want to go to hell? <laughs> no, I'm not going to go to hell. Like, good. Because you have to finish it like you started it. You have to do this your entire life. You cannot give up, not one moment, because the devil will eat your lunch. Let's look at Proverbs 29.1. This is on my mirror at home. <coughs> I love this scripture. A man who remains stiff-necked after many rebukes will suddenly be destroyed without remedy. Let that sink in a minute. I like this scripture because I am stiff-necked. It does take two or three times, right? Amen, Jen? <laughs> it does take two or three times to get it through my, my thick skull. Thankfully, it does get in eventually. But you stand there and oppose God and refuse correction and seek the same counsel over and over and over but refuse to put it into practice and see if the Lord doesn't destroy you suddenly without remedy. You know what without remedy means? There's no going back. There's no undoing the damage that you did. My God, this scripture... This is, an, this is a, an intense one for me. This is why I have it on my mirror and I look at it every morning. Because I have the tendency to be stiff-necked, to hate correction, to be stupid and to hate correction. Many rebukes will be destroyed suddenly without remedy. There's your recipe for disaster. When things start getting good, stop seeking the Lord. Go your own way and refuse correction. This is why we need ministry partners. This is why, husbands, you need your wife. This is why, wives, you need your husband. This is why, men and women of God, you need each other. 
This is what Mike was preaching the other night. We need each other because we hold each other accountable. Because we love each other enough in this place, in this body, in this fellowship here. We love each other enough to step on each other's toes and say, hey, watch out, caution. Don't do what you're doing. The Word of God says this. I love you. I don't want to see you destroyed. We need each other. Mike said there was a healing factor in fellowship of the body. I believe that. Because you go out and you try to minister. You try to do what God's called you to do and not interact with anybody. What are you pouring out of? A dry well. You need to be rubbing up against brothers and sisters in the Lord and getting filled by their encouragement and filling them with encouragement that you've gotten from the Lord. We need to be able to heal each other so that we can go out and face the battle. We need each other. If you're married, that's your first ministry partner right there. You need to be your husband's biggest fan, wives. Husbands, you need to be your wife's biggest fan. We talk about this in marriage counseling. You are supposed to be each other's best friend. You are supposed to support each other no matter what. But what happens more often than not, we are the worst in our spouse's life. We're the ones tearing them down. We're the ones questioning their judgment, not supporting them. We've got to not do that. You want to succeed? You've got to be each other's biggest fan. Okay? If you're married or single, the Lord has called you to either join in someone else's work or have them join you or both. And most likely it's both. Right? So Brandon has joined Joel in this work. And Joel joins Brandon in his work. Y'all work together to fulfill the call that God's given you. So tonight, I want you to ask the Lord to open your eyes. If you don't feel that you've got that ministry partner, that the Lord has spoken to you about a ministry partner yet, or that you don't have that spouse that you're waiting on, ask the Lord to open your eyes and show you what you're waiting for. Show you who that might be. What time period are you in? Are you in the waiting time period? Are you in the preparation? Are you in the disappointment? There's a whole lot of disappointment in it. You may be there. And that's okay. You can still receive strengthening from the Lord during this time period. Ask the Lord to show you where you are and receive encouragement from that. And don't let the devil abort the work of God that's in your life. You need each other. Amen. 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 Amen.